Hi guys, and welcome back to the Brando and Joe podcast. For today's podcast episode, our guest is Gordon Goodwin. He received his master's in IO psychology from East Carolina University and currently works at Angie as a people analytics partner. Welcome, Gordon. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, y'all. Welcome. We're excited for this one. Brandon and I always talked about people analytics, but not until we got into the program because it's just a job that, I mean, personally, I've never heard of, and I feel like a lot of my other IO students have never heard of. Um, so seeing you reach out and then seeing you worked in people analytics got us super excited just to honestly, just to find out more about like what it means to work in people analytics, um, and just find out really what you do. Yeah, for sure. You're not, you're not the only one. I, I had never heard of it before I started applying for jobs after graduate school either. (laughs) Now, did you search out a job in people analytics when you heard it because of like the data component or was it just something that fell into your lap and you're like, let me try this out. This seems cool. Or maybe something else. Yeah, yeah, great question. So to answer that, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of backstory. So I actually got my career, my professional quote unquote career started before I went to grad school. And I was a production manager for Tyson Foods and uh, another uh, manufacturing company that, that was very similar. And that was more of like an operations role. But but in that role, I kind of found that I, I really loved the the data and like the the people side of things more than I actually did, you know, like being a people leader, quote unquote. Um, I had about, you know, 30 to 60 to 90 direct reports, depending on the context and, and the job. And I just, I was not a good, you know, people manager. But one thing I really did like about that job was being able to like review my my KPIs, my my key production indicators every day, um, you know, getting to getting to look at all of, you know, basically our, our process flow, all of our, you know, staffing levels and something about like that data side of things just just really stood out to me uh and then when you combine that with the 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 hr and the people and the psychology side of things that's what kind of made me start looking into uh, io psychology in general and then when i went into my io psych program i actually got really really fortunate i was taking the uh the required statistics classes you have to take your first uh, couple semesters i think most programs have like a general uh, like a research method slash uh, graduate level statistics course. I think that's pretty much universal. And while I was taking that, I, I kind of fell in love with, you know, statistics, right, and, and math. And, and that was so weird because I had never really, never really <laughs> liked that stuff much in high school. And as a matter of fact, in my undergrad, I never took a single math class because I had placed out when I was in high school through like the AP classes and stuff like that. And so it was just so, so strange for me to, to really kind of find that, you know, new interest and I was really lucky to have a, a, f- a couple of faculty members in my graduate IO program that were just, you know, great mentors, really kind of developed that interest in, in statistics and data science and, and methods and, and stuff like that. And so the, the TLDR is that as that as I kind of found that new interest, I was looking into jobs in the beginning of my second year that were in like the data science slash data analytics realm. But a lot of those jobs, they're they're looking for even at the entry level, they're looking for folks who have either like a computer science background or a you know mathematics background, and the only jobs that are really uh, maybe a little bit more open to alternate backgrounds are the ones that focus more on the people side of like data analytics, and that's where I kind of heard the first heard the term people analytics as it was as I was looking for jobs that intersected with IO psychology and data analytics and. As I was going through that, you know, I, I saw the listing for uh, Angie and uh, a couple of other, of other positions that were ad- advertising, you know, people analytics. And then as I was looking at the job description, I was like, oh, man, this is so cool. I, I'd never heard it before. I didn't know it existed, but it sounded like, you know, two of my favorite things, you know, IO psychology and, you know, 
uh, data data science, right? And so that's how I first heard about the role. So the the long-winded answer to your question is no, I, I was not familiar with people analytics beforehand, and it was entirely a function of kind of finding new interests and looking for the job market when I uh, was getting near the end of my master's degree. So when you were working with people and you said that manager side, does that play a role in how you work with the people during the people analytics side too, like from that experience that you have? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so in my current role uh, at, at Angie, um, we have uh, about about half of our active workforce are frontline sales representatives. So these are folks that are out there, uh, you know, just grinding day in and day out. You know, they're making, you know, hundreds of phone calls a day trying to get sales. Um, and that is a very similar atmosphere to what I experienced when I was working uh, with in the production industries, right, is you have that that high volume, that, that really like frontline type of position where it can be really, really tough on the employees in those roles. And I saw firsthand, um, you, you know, I, I have a lot of positive things to say about, you know, my experiences with, with, with Tyson and other companies, right? So I, I certainly enjoyed my time there, but I saw there, you know, how difficult it can be for, for folks, you know, that are in those frontline roles. And And when I was a manager there, you know, one of the hardest things for me was trying to balance the need to hit our operations goals with trying to be compassionate, empathetic, and, you know, caring towards the the folks that reported up to me. And so kind of building off of that, that experience uh, definitely plays a role in, uh, or it definitely helps me in my current role with Angie, right? Because I think it, it does let me kind of see both sides, right? Like when I'm partnering with our sales leaders here or, you know, our, our, our people operations leaders here, and we're trying to, you know, pull data to support, you know, new initiatives related to those frontline employees and, and, and the management of them. I can better understand, you know, kind of what some of the complexities are, the, the need to maintain high levels of, you know, efficiency, but also in a, in a manner that prioritizes the well-being of your employees too. So definitely help, help uh, prepare me for my current role. One of the topics we talk about a lot and that has brought up to us is like storytelling with data. And it sounds like when you work with people and then, but mostly of your stuff is with data, do you find yourself that was like a skill you had to learn? Um, Or is it maybe something that came more natural to you with your previous experiences? That is 100% a skill I had to learn and I'm still learning. Uh, I've been with Angie just about a year. I actually hit my one year, I think in about a week or so. Um, and, and I was, when, when I, when I started my role here, I was very, very proficient in the statistics and math side of things the, the, the quote unquote data science side of things. Right. And one of the things that I, I was not as proficient with at the start was communicating those insights to end users that are not technically proficient. Right. Um, I've had, I got some really great feedback from, from some of our senior leaders at, at Angie that, you know, the, fir- the first projects I worked on. I did a really, really great job of pulling data, analyzing data, gathering data, cleaning data, all that type of stuff, right? But when it came to act time to actually communicate the results, I was getting a lot of feedback that um, I needed to simplify things, right? I needed to do a better job of, hey, your end user, you're lucky if they're gonna have more than five seconds to 10 seconds to actually look at each slide you present. And I was over here with like, you know, a slide deck that had, you know, 20 slides, in-depth metrics on every single slide. and. It was just, you know, in hindsight, like I, I can look back on it and laugh, but at the time, you know, just like, like the word regressions and standard. Exactly. Right. Like, right. Like, I remember, I remember there there was one specific project where I was uh, analyzing uh, a proposal to change our, our paid time off policy. And 
I, uh, I included something about the, like the, the median and the 25th percentile of like hours taken in PTO. <laughs> and, and I just remember, you know, like seeing the look on the audience's face and, and, you know, I just, I realized at that point, like, Hey, I, I've, I've got to, you know, really work on, on my storytelling ability. Um, but, but I'm really fortunate in that my, my direct manager, our people analytics manager here, she's a, she has a PhD in IO psychology. Uh, her name's uh, Caitlin Cavanaugh, and she, she's awesome. And she has really, really, really helped me go a long way in remembering at all times that like a data analyst's most important job is to tell the story, right? That is the job, right? Um, if, if you want to get more into data science, then you might have a chance to do, you know, more of like your, your modeling and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, when you're an analyst, you need to be able to communicate those results. And, and that's something that I've come a long way, but still have a long way to go for sure. Cause I was going to ask you, like, are you the only IO that you work with or, but you just mentioned that you have one. Are there any others of you in there? <laughs> Yeah, so it, it's really funny. Um, our, our people analytics team, when I first joined, we had three members. We had a uh, people analytics manager, a senior partner, and then myself. And all three of us had IO degrees. Uh, uh, the, the senior partner, she just transitioned to another role, but she uh, also had a master's. And then I think I told you uh, my, my manager has a, has a PhD. So, and there's, there's a couple other folks in our organization that are in like the talent acquisition side of things and a couple other roles that also have IO degrees. So yeah, it's really wild. I think that kind of is a testament to the growing popularity of IO psychology and the fact that more and more companies are starting to recognize the value that, that we can provide. I honestly didn't expect that. <laughs> no, me neither. Uh, I, I am used to when I tell people, you know, what I got my master's degree and I am used to having to basically say, oh, it's like, HR, but with, you know, like psychology and data science and, you know, <laughs> like I'm used to having to like try and, you know, distill it down into that type of thing. So it's, it's very new for me as well to, to be a part of an organization where uh, IO psychology is not only recognized, but valued. And that, that, that part's really cool. And hopefully a lot more companies uh, will, will join that bandwagon in the future. I feel like even at SAP, when there was that exact question asked and they're like, how many IOs work in your organization? And they said something crazy. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Brandon, but it was something like 10,000 employees. And out of all those employees, there was like two. <laughs> and I know I was like a small field, but I was just like, wow, it kind of puts it into perspective. Like, For sure. That's, it's not that popular. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that I think that speaks to maybe one of the, the problems we have as, as a field is that it's almost like our field is too broad, right? Um I, I was listening to the podcast y'all did with uh, Alan uh, Landers and, and not to you know put words on his mouth or paraphrase, but one of the things he said that I really, really liked was he stressed the need to not focus on being a generalist, but maybe being like finding your niche and, and maybe being like uh, uh, developing an expertise in a specific subject matter area. Right. And I think that would, I think IO psychology would, would go, would, would really, benefit from maybe taking some advice there, right? We need to figure out a way to distinguish ourselves from some of these other fields and figure out a way to make that value more readily apparent to, to other companies and, and folks that aren't as familiar with IO psychology. 100%. Yeah. I, it's like, uh, I think one of the other things we talked about with another guest, it was just like maybe changing the name for industrial organizational psychology. Yeah. I hate the name. <laughs> it's a mouthful. Uh, I hate the name. I'll, I'll be the first one to say it. I, I hate the name. It just, it does not, to me, it doesn't even sound like 
what it, it really is. Um, I, at, at our at ECU uh, East Carolina, where I got my master's, they have a PhD program. It's called occupational health psychology. Instead, uh, it's basically um, some administrative reason why they couldn't call it IO psychology. But the long and short of it is, you know, I, I think I don't really like that name either. But I, I think it's closer to, to to what you know I consider IO to to be at its core than you know industrial <laughs> organizational psychology. So I'm all for a name change as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because in like the business programs they don't even call it like psychology they call it organizational behavior so <laughs> like that's one way that they've also talked about it too yes yes and and i think that's a really great point i think i think one of the things that i've gotten feedback from folks that aren't familiar with what we do in the past is the word psychology trips people up a lot right like they'll, they'll either think we're like clinical practitioners or you know, they'll, or they'll get tripped up on the industrial part, right? Like, I think the organizational part is great. And I really like the behavior or, um, you know, like, like something along those lines. But but yeah, I definitely agree that the psychology part and the industrial part can can cause some uh, con- unnecessary confusion. I feel like one thing that we uh, are seeing here, like, as IO psychologists, we could talk about this all day when it comes to how we could name this field, how we could grow it, how we can make it better. But I wanted to circle back to what you were talking about earlier, Gordon, uh, in regards to your career and how you ended up in people analytics. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to take a look at that and say, like, if somebody is a prospective student out there and they are trying to look at going into people analytics from like a lot earlier on, is there something they can do to diversify what they know so that they can prepare for people analytics? 100%. Yeah. And I'm I'm glad you asked that question, because to me, that is, I think, the thing that can best draw awareness to people analytics is, is helping prepare folks earlier on to, to be proficient. Um, so I think for me, I think number one is developing data literacy early on and not in the research method sense that we are taught in most IO psychology programs. Um, I'll be the first one to, to say that I really don't think the methods that are taught in most IO programs match up very well with quote unquote the real world. Uh, I think that a lot of IO programs currently really are good at preparing academics, right? But but when you go out into, you know, a lot of a lot of the job roles, you're not going to be doing 90% of the stuff that you learn in most of these these are, uh, you know, like graduate statistics courses, right? The the ones that are in IO psychology, right? So I think the more you can focus on stuff that's more applicable in the real world. So for me, that's things like uh, learning how to clean data, right? Like most 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 assignments I had in, in my graduate program, you know, you get a nice clean little data set with like 100 observations and two variables. And it's like, hey, run a regression or it's like, hey, you know, figure out if, you know, there's uh, A causes B or something like that, right? In, in my current role at Angie, I deal regularly with data sets that are in the millions of rows. Uh, I deal with data that's, you know, spaced out over years, like we're talking, you know, from early 2000s up through 2023. So I think really getting familiar with the practices and the, the data workflows that are present in the real world are, are would, be, would be beneficial. And the way you can do that early on when you're in, even in, in graduate school is trying to, if your, if your program allows you to, branching outside of what's offered in the I.O. program. When I was uh, in, in our program in East Carolina, I was very fortunate in that they were very flexible with the electives. So I took a ton of classes from the business school. Uh, I took a ton of classes from our, our computer science school. I took like 
machine learning classes, classes with uh, in econometrics, uh, SQL, all sorts of you know different programming languages, and those types of things are are gonna, I think, in my opinion, you know, be the most valuable to a prospective employer, right? Because those are those are the types of things that you'll be able to use. So the TLDR is that if you have the opportunity to, don't be afraid to step outside of what's offered within, you know, the the IO program at your school, right? And if you're not an IO uh, major even, right? Like let's say you're in a different program, right? The same thing still applies. Like try to take some of these classes that are in business programs that are in, you know, computer science programs. I mean, granted, they're not going to be perfect. Uh, I think everybody, you know, has probably had experiences where they've taken classes that are outside of the IO program and they've been like, man, you know, this, I just, this just isn't for me. Right. But just kind of push through it and don't be afraid to, to branch out. And then the other thing I would say, aside from coursework is finding something you have an interest in and finding data sets for that, right? Like if a great one is sports, right? If you're interested in sports, download some sports data sets, right? Like try to answer a question with data, right? Like, you know, maybe you track your favorite team and figure out like, hey, where are they really struggling? Um, it doesn't have to be sports, it could be anything. Maybe you're a movie buff, right? Like maybe you could look and see, go, go on, you know, like IMDB, Internet Movie Database and download metrics for like people's ratings of movies, right? Like there's all, whatever, whatever your interest is, try and find some data and, you know, try and develop, you know, like a little bit of a, a portfolio, a little mini portfolio, right? And not only will that help you, but that'll be a good way to demonstrate your skills to employers as well. And then the final thing I'd say, so we've covered courses, we've covered, you know, like some, some practical experience. I would, I would say try and find a mentor as soon as possible. And that's something I didn't do. Uh, internships are a great opportunity for that. I didn't do an internship when I was in uh, my grad program because I was already, you know, like 30 by the time I'd started grad school. And just something about doing an internship at 30 years old just didn't, just didn't, didn't sit right with me. But uh, if, if I, I would actually go back and change that if I could, right? Because that internships and, and, and other mentorship opportunities, even if it's not an internship, Find someone that works in people analytics or data science or, you know, whatever, and, and, you know, get a chance to ask them what types of things are valuable for them. You actually even answered my question as you were speaking about, I was going to ask how is like, how could I work with big data sets, but like, whether it's like movie or sports data. Um, and then you think just like coming up with your own questions. Uh, Absolutely. And, oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Um, Come up with your own questions or, um, I would say that's that's also where like uh, a mentor uh, can come into play. And again, it doesn't have to be something formal. It can just be like a friend, right? That's another thing. Uh, like maybe if you have a couple friends that are interested in, in data workflows, maybe like you guys bounce ideas off of each other and you're like, hey, maybe how can we work together to answer a question like this? Uh, there, there's a lot of like freely available data sets out there. Uh, Kaggle has, has a bunch of uh, great free ones. Um, there's a, a site called Open Science Framework that has actual real data sets that are used by uh, like academic people, people who write academic articles and journals and stuff like that. Uh, some of them will, will publish their data sets. I actually used a IO data set for my, my master's thesis. Uh, it was a data that was gathered in Europe about uh, attrition and, and variables that drive attrition. So point being like the data is out there, right? Uh, you know, just, just figure out what you're interested in and find some other folks that share your interests. Um, and then the other thing I'd say too, is that if we're just always remember that's a spectrum, right? So when we're thinking about data analytics in the context of IO psychology, you have two ends of the spectrum. You have your hardcore, just pure data science on the one end, like your, your math, your computer science. 
And then you have like your complete IO psychology slash HR on the other end. And I think where we bring the most value is somewhere in the middle, right? Like we're never going to have the chops to be pure data scientists, right? If you want to be a pure data scientist, then go to school for that, right? Get training in that. But if you want to do people analytics or, you know, data analytics that supports people operations, whatever you call it, try to find that middle ground where you can use your subject matter knowledge and IO psychology to support your data literacy abilities and your data analytics abilities. And that's where we can provide the most value. I see a lot of people that are too far on other, on one end and I'm guilty of like skewing too far to the data science side, right? There was a point at, at one point, you know, when I was in grad school, one, one, one of my professors was like, Hey man, you know, remember like you're, you're in an IO program, like don't try and, you know, be, you know, just be like a pure data scientist, figure out how you can provide value by using your IO, you know, knowledge to support your data analytic uh, expertise as well. So, yeah. So now that you've been working in the, in the space, if someone like me were to sit down and download one of these big data sets, um, I know you said you took a couple of classes in like machine learning or some computer science classes. Um, are there specific softwares that you find are like most valuable to learn? Cause I know for us, uh, there's a program called R, but we were the first year to learn a different software called Jamovi. And part of me has me thinking, it was like, should I learn R by myself? Or is there, is there something that I should know that maybe I don't know? <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great question. And that's actually another problem that I think a lot of IO programs have. I think traditionally a lot of IO programs like focused on tools like SPSS or, 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 you know, like these big, like uh, basically licensed programs. I think today focus on either R or Python and that's that that by far will be the best thing you can do. If you go on LinkedIn or any like indeed any any job platform and you look at, you know, uh, the preferred qualifications for, you know, people on analytics jobs, you'll see more and more uh, R or Python will be listed as preferred skills. Uh, me and in, in my day to day I use almost exclusively R. Um, we also have another tool called Vizier, which is a, a, like a more like a business intelligence tool that's specifically for people analytics. And that, that's an awesome tool as well. But that's a, a paid like license based tool. Um, I would say for sure, focus on learning either R or Python. I think you, you could, you'd be well to learn, learn either one. And, and I learned it completely on my own. I didn't have a single class where R was required. Um, you know, I, I just basically got some, got some books, watched some YouTube videos, some tutorials and and the, be the best way to learn like a programming language is just to get in there and, 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 and try it yourself and just make sure once you get over that initial hurdle, you know, it's all downhill from there. You just got to persevere through that, that, that starting point and not give up because it, it can, it can definitely feel really, really uncomfortable at first. So, yeah. yeah it, it could be challenging. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and again, that's where like a mentor or like a study group can be really, really beneficial. Um, I had some great friends in my graduate school cohort that uh, my last uh, my last semester, you know, we would meet in the library every Saturday and we'd work on some problem sets for one of our our, uh, our stats courses and, and we would all, you know, just uh, troubleshoot our problems together, right? Uh, nerdy way to spend your Saturday, but 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 super helpful and super useful because um, it, it, it also helps combat that frustration when you have someone to partner with and learn with. We're starting a dating set, Brandon, me and you, we're going to start practicing Yeah, <laughs> this <definitely>. weekend. <laughs> For sure. Um, there's a, there's a lot of great, uh, I, I can provide some, some resources after we're done. I'll, I'll email them to you, but there's a lot of great resources out there that are geared towards teaching R or Python to folks that have like a psychology background or an IO background. So, 
Yeah, absolutely. Yep. I had a, one more question just about like the software that you used. Um, so I know you said well, being a data, data analytics, we have to story tell some of the data. Mm -hmm. um, does R allow you to like visualize the data or do you have to kind of do that on yourself with like, I've, uh, I think one of them is called like Tableau or Power BI. I've never used those, so <laughs> don't take my word for it. But, no, no, uh, great, great question. Yeah, so uh, first part of your question, absolutely. R, R can do everything from start to finish. It can, you can download data directly through like a data warehouse with R. You can analyze it, clean it, and then you can visualize it. There's a, a package in R called ggplot, which most people use for visualization. Uh, and then what you referenced, Tableau and Power BI, those are, are like you said, there are other tools. Those are specifically data visualization tools that are, are also like business, more of like your business intelligence tools. Um, so those types of tools are, are what we call uh, like click and drag or, or GUI tools, right? They don't requ uh, require you to, to do any coding. So those can be really great ways to build your data visualization skills before you have like your coding chops. So that's actually a great point. Um, if, if you're not really comfortable with R, but you still want to get like some visualization and data storytelling skills built up, uh, Tableau could be a, a, another uh, way to, to maybe focus on that part. But but yeah, the, the long-winded answer to your question is, yeah, you can you can absolutely do that in R. You can do it in Python. Uh, pretty much any coding language will, will also give you the ability to visualize it as well. You ready for that, Brandon? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, no, I'm glad you asked that because that visualization piece in my mind, that is the most important part, right? Like, that's the part that everyone's going to see uh, when, when you're out there, you know, like working, right? And and I spent too much time focusing on getting the data, cleaning the data, analyzing it, right? And then when it came time to visualize it, I really struggled in that regard. Everything I produced in like my first month or two at Angie was like either a bar chart or like a, just like a little like scatter plot with a line, you know? And, and, and I look back now and I've come a really, really long way in that regards, but, but 100% like that is that's a skill in and of itself is, is visualizing and, and using those visuals to support your story, especially when we're dealing with, with people uh, data and people analytics, right? Because you're telling a story about people and human behavior, right? Like you really, really need a way to, to, to use your visuals to kind of make that story come to life. Oh yeah, that's awesome. I think that's a perfect way to talk about using data too, because at the end of the day, I, Joe and I talk about this when we're trying to tell stories it's something that we have to do. Making people understand what we're trying to say isn't always the easiest when you're using numbers. And when you're dealing with CEOs and people of that nature, sometimes they don't have as much time as you would like to really get that message across. So images are definitely a great way to do that. Um, and with that too, Gordon, you've done a great job like basically painting a picture of what this looks like for you, what people analytics looks like. And I want to leave you with one last question for our audience and just kind of ask you, if you were talking to those prospective IO students, what's one piece of advice that you would give them? Great question. Um, I would say do, to the best of your ability, try to really think hard early on about what you specifically are interested in. And it's okay if it changes, right? You're not like committing it to it for life, but it kind of speaks to that whole generalist versus specificity thing earlier, right? The, the better and the sooner you can figure out what you are interested in, the more you can focus on that and develop your skills rather than waiting till the end of your program and then trying to apply for jobs that like run the gamut of different things, right? But, but yeah, just figure out early on, have a really, really thoughtful conversation about what you're interested in 
and what you need to do to get there and then find other folks who are in that 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 same interest of yours that same field and and try to build a network try to build connections and, and try to get uh some some mentorship it's great advice i feel like uh sometimes students try to find something that's makes the most money or yes. something that like maybe someone else likes which makes like of course you want something that was uh have a good salary but one thing we've found out is that you can really work your way up in anything and it really matters whether you like the job and you can see yourself doing it for the next you know 30 40 years that doesn't have to be your forever job but you know it's definitely a an important piece of advice 100 percent. i always think about uh compensation as kind of like a almost like a like a threshold or a plateau once you get past like enough to be you know like sustainable and not have to live paycheck to paycheck the rest is just you know the rest is almost meaningless right like the what really matters is that you can get get a compensation level that can support yourself and and you know like make you comfortable but at the same time like anything past that what really matters is that you love what you do and you're passionate about what you do and and that's something i i have to remind myself sometimes as well but uh but yeah, definitely great advice. Yeah. And as a, uh, some, I read this in a textbook back in undergrad, it was like the optimum level of satisfaction for uh, compensation for like a single male was like $85,000 a year or something like that. That might've changed since. Cause that was a little while ago, but it's kind of crazy because everybody's looking and achieving to get these six figure salaries and working their way up in all these organizations. And if you're and according to the textbooks, you're at your peak happiness with a salary of eighty five thousand. So, <laughs> yeah, no, I've, I've heard that as well. And and you know, honestly, that there's probably a grain of truth to that. Maybe you know, I, I don't know about the the specific number, but that's absolutely true. Like you know, after a certain point, you can start chasing and chasing and chasing that next level and forgetting to be satisfied with what you have. And that that's actually the the other piece of advice I'd give too. Right, is when you're first finishing you know grad school and looking for your first job if, if you don't have like prior like true professional work experience when when you're looking for that first job don't be afraid to like hold out for a salary that you feel is commiserate with your experience and your skill set but at the same time like once you get that try not to focus on you know what you know what the don't focus on the joneses right like like just just if, if you're happy with what you make then that's all that matters at the end of the day right i've seen too many people myself included who uh, that, that's a never-ending road to misery if, if you keep getting wrapped up in, in what everybody else is making. My my family always says that don't cut off your nose to spite your face. <laughs> I feel like oh, it's the same, well, yeah, same type that, that, of thing. That's exactly it, for sure, for sure. And the, But the good thing, too, though, is that as IO is, is, is building in popularity and, and more companies are starting to realize the value we provide, you're starting to see like the, the salaries for a lot of IO jobs across the different specifications are are definitely getting getting pretty competitive, um, you know, especially with with life after the pandemic, when a lot of companies, you know, realized they they needed to, to do a lot to try and attract more people. Uh, I think I think IO is is definitely a field where the skills are in demand and the the compensation is out there. So the future is bright, I think, for for IO folks. Yeah, I think Psyop just released like the uh, 2022 pay for uh, all IOs whoever submitted their data i was like oh it's not too bad <laughs> all right well gordon like thank you so much for coming on with us today i feel like you really gave our prospective students out there a really good idea about what io and people analytics is and also how you can get involved in it from an earlier time period in their careers so we want to thank you so much for joining us today thanks for having me guys it's been a pleasure
Yeah, it was a great episode. Thanks, Gordon. Take care. So that was a very informational episode with Gordon. I feel like he did a really good job painting a picture of what it looks like to enter people analytics because we hear that name tossed around a lot, especially in our field. Um, and as we talked about a little bit towards the end, like the idea of compensation, people analytics is one of those that pays a little higher. But I feel like he really did a good job at giving us an idea of how you can get involved in that from an early time period in your graduate career. Yeah, it makes me want to have more people and people analytics on the podcast because it really is interesting. Like uh, one thing I remember talking to my friends about being in psychology, those people who are not in psychology, I feel like don't know that stats is a part of it. It seems like silly to us because that's all we do. Um, but then for someone to be a psychology major and I was a psychology major and work with data and statistics, some people might not know of, but it is really a big part um, of our studies and then of our potential jobs. Um, but thank you everyone for watching. Um, if you want to hear more about people analytics, uh, you can follow Gordon on LinkedIn um, or ask us to have more people on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, reach out to us. We'd be happy to take some of your guys' recommendations. Bye everyone. Thank you guys.